What is going on, Hills Church? How is everybody doing today? Good. Man, to quote from my favorite pastor, it's a good day to be in church. Right? Well, hey, if you are joining us online or if you're at our Branchville campus, we are so glad that you are with us today. Everybody, can we make some noise for everybody online and is in Branchville today? So glad you guys are with us. Now, you guys are probably wondering why Daryl is wearing skinny jeans. Um, that is because Daryl is actually not here today. Daryl uh, actually got the flu that has been going around. Um, and so he's at home resting. He's sick, but be praying for him. He's on the men. He'll be back with us next week. The Bible does talk about, though, that we're going to face many trials and tribulations of many kinds. And I am your trial today. You have to listen to me. And I'm really sorry about that. Um, but next week, he'll be back uh, sharing with us. Uh, but there's a few things. I wanted to make sure that you guys are aware of before we dive into the message today. First off is if you're new here today, man, we're so glad you're with us. Maybe this is your first time or you've been coming for a few weeks and just testing us out. If you haven't already, make sure you stop by our, um, you know, our welcome center. We've got a gift for you and some people who just want to uh, just show you what it looks like to be a part of the Hills, ways that you can get plugged in and be a part of all that we're doing here. Uh, the other big thing is December 18th, we have baptisms that are gonna be coming up. So if you're looking for that next step, in your relationship with Jesus, man, this is what you need to do. Essentially, baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. You decide to follow Jesus, but now you're telling everybody you're going public with your faith. So if that's something that you want to do, this is your next step. You can sign up by going to hillschurch.info. Hit baptisms. You can sign up right then and there. Well, I'm excited today because we are in week four of our series, Daring Faith. In this whole series, we're looking about what does it look like to have a daring faith that God God can use to do miraculous things around us. And today we're going to be talking about this. It's our sermon today. It's called Dare to Commit. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, Dare to Commit. Turn to your other neighbor and say, Dare to Commit. Somebody sitting next to the boyfriend or girlfriend be like, You heard the guy. Come on, we got to make this happen. I'm not trying to put you in that spot if that's what happened there. Okay. But the reality of this is this is that we can talk about having a daring faith. But if we never commit to use it, then it means nothing, right? Like if a little kid who goes to a public pool, he goes up on the super high uh, diving board, he could be standing up there with his knees shaking nervous. But if he never commits, if he never jumps in, he never experiences what's happening. Because it's the same with our faith. God wants to use us to do miraculous things through our faith. But if we do not commit, we're going to be missing out on those things. You know, it was just a month ago uh, that we had our fall retreat for our middle schoolers and high schoolers. It was called Fix You. And I remember just a little bit over a year ago, Daryl was talking to me and he's just like, hey, Chris, 2022, we need to do a fall retreat. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do it. And I was nervous. I was excited. And as we're getting closer to the date, Daryl put some parameters around and he said, Chris, the goal for this thing is just 30 kids. You get 30 kids to come to this thing. Great job. As I heard that on the inside of me, I was like, okay. 30. I think we could do 50. I really do. I think if everything went like perfectly, we could get 50 kids up to this thing. And so as we're getting closer, Leslie Wheeler, office administrator and myself, we start planning out this thing. We're booking the hotel, the speaker tickets to Kings Island. We're going up to Ohio. It's going to be an absolute blast and everything's getting real. We're committing to this thing. So I'm so excited. We start putting up promotional videos. We're telling everybody, texting people, Hey, you need to sign up for this thing. One week goes by and zero people signed up for it 
really confident at that moment, okay? And but here's the thing. Nobody signs up in the first week. People love to be fashionably late. So it's no worries. We'll keep on going doing all this thing. So a few weeks go by and we only get a handful of kids to sign up. And now I'm starting to get really nervous. I remember going up to Leslie and be like, hey, um, so I know we talked about perhaps 50, but I think 30 is probably more of a safe bet. That was the goal anyway. And she's like, no, it's not. I'm like, excuse me? And she's like, because we've committed, we've already put the money in for the hotels, all of this other stuff. If we don't get near this 50 student range, financially, it's going to throw everything off. And at that moment, I had a heart attack. Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, right? Like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, this, this is not good. So I was like, all right, we've got to find 50 kids. And the more that we started talking students, all of it, we had a lot of students who wanted to go, but just needed assistance to get there. And so through that, there was two things that I learned. We ended up doing a window washing fundraising. The first thing that I learned is our kids can't wash windshields. Um, they can't. They're really good at moving the dirt on your windshields um, and then putting it in new places, but they're really bad about washing them. The second thing that I learned that I think was more important is how generous this church is. Okay. What was so cool to see is because of your generosity, I had people coming up to me saying, hey, Chris, do we have everything filled for all of our students? I actually had to turn people away and say, hey, hold on to what you have. We've got all of our students taken care of. We brought 47 students up to that retreat, which is amazing. Yeah, that's something to celebrate. That's awesome. But it's so much more than that. Because of committing to what God was doing and investing in the next generation, I had over 10 kids give their life to Jesus or recommit to follow Jesus. I had one kid get called into ministry. We had kids who were hurting and broken with things behind the scenes that no one knew about them, that they're struggling with depression, they're struggling with suicide, their home lives are a wreck, they're hurting and they're broken and they're alone and no one ever knew. Bring it to Jesus, leave it at his feet and let God speak into their lives. At the beginning of the treat, I literally had 47 students when we're going to do worship and stuff, either sitting in chairs, I had a few kids falling asleep and just being like, eh. At the end of that retreat, I had almost 47 students up at the front lifting their hands and passionately worshiping Jesus. One of my favorite things that I saw that week, there are five guys who came from basketball. On Sunday nights, we play basketball and there's this group of five guys who don't come to our church. They're just high schoolers from around the town. They always come. We got five of them to come up. Some of them gave their lives to Jesus and we're actively trying to start a small group with them. Guys, this is something to celebrate. Can we make some noise for what God was doing that weekend? And it's not because I did something. It's not because you did something. But when we committed to having daring faith, God showed up and he did the miraculous. And I truly believe this, you guys, is that we've been in this campaign called Take the Hills for two years. We've been in it for one year, but it's a two-year commitment that we're kind of walking through. What we're believing is that God's going to do something miraculous. It's more than just a building, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm so excited that we're going to have a building. We don't have to set up and tear down anymore. Like we can do all the things that we want to do. That's amazing, but it's so much more than that. We really, truly believe that God has called us to win, train, and send the Midwest for him that as we commit and we have daring faith that we're gonna see God do miraculous thing after miraculous thing, that marriages will be restored. We're gonna see families come to know Jesus and we're gonna see generation after generation of people coming to find him. And that doesn't happen just by accident. That's people stepping out and having daring faith. 
And so today what I want us to look at is a guy in the Bible, his name is Jonathan, and how he dared to commit to the miraculous and God used him. What we see is in 1 Samuel 14 is what we're about to read. The chapter before, we see that the Israelites went off to battle against the Philistines. And so King Saul is leading all of these warriors and honestly, they just get beat up. They get all dispersed. They're reeling in this moment. And I want you to see from these two main characters, Jonathan and King Saul. Jonathan is the son of King Saul. They're two different outlooks in this moment. And we see this over in 1 Samuel chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says this. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree in Megron. With him, there were about 600 men. Among them was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Aitam, son of Phinehas, and the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass, Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One there was called Bozes, the other was Sina. One, stood a, uh, one cliff stood to the north of Michmash and the other to the south of Geba. I texted Daryl yesterday and I was like, dude, I don't think you're actually sick. 43% of me thinks that you're actually just fine. You just didn't want to say any of these really difficult words, so you're making me do it. Anyway, we're jumping back into verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said, go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to him. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes that they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet and with his armor bearer right behind him, the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. Jonathan had the kind of daring faith that changed things forever. And I truly believe that every single one of us has an opportunity to have this type of faith, to have this daring faith that when we step out, God can use our faith to do something miraculous. That we can go, and even facing the difficult moments, that we can charge ahead because we know who is with us. Jonathan shows us that committing to daring faith has three things, and I want to point them out to you today. And here's the first one. Daring faith involves expecting the miraculous. To have daring faith, it involves expecting the miraculous, not only what makes sense, I think it's pretty interesting in this story that we see two main characters. We see King Saul and we see Jonathan and their perspectives on the situation are the complete opposite. And in fact, I would actually argue they should be in reverse because you have King Saul, literally the king, the appointed king by God of the Israelites. He has power over the military. He has power over the nation. His title means something. And not only that, 
Literally, God has used a priest to anoint him. So God has said, you are my chosen leader. God has promised that the land that they are fighting for, that they will have victory in. And on top of that, the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence resides, is with them. God is with them, and yet King Saul is hiding underneath a pomegranate tree. Why is that? Well, we see in the chapter before the exact reason. In chapter 13, we see that he had thousands of warriors coming to fight with him. And as he pushes onto the battlefield, they are overwhelmed by the Philistine army. It's so much so the Bible actually says that there were so many Philistine soldiers as grains of sand on the seashore. And so all of these men are dispersed, they're fighting, and there's only 600 of them left in this area. And what's also crazy is only two men have weapons. King Saul and Jonathan, that's it. The rest of them had farming equipment. So we see that Saul, as all of this is happening, Honestly, he's making a logical choice. He's seeing what's in front of him and he's doing what makes sense because it's off of what he sees. And so we see that Saul is underneath the pomegranate tree, just waiting for God to move and saying, all right, God, this doesn't make sense. So show me what your next move is. Well, at the same time, we look over at Jonathan. He didn't have the title. He didn't have the the level of authority his father had. But what he did have was this urgency to fulfill God's purpose. And he had this daring faith that caused him to expect the miraculous. Notice what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 14, starting in verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Look at this. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Man, we read that line, we're like, man, what daring faith by Jonathan. So bold, so confident in what what God is going to do. Because Jonathan could realize that even though there might be thousands of them, that if I've got God on my side and there's only two of us, we're the majority. Because whatever stands in front of me, my God is still bigger. Right? And we look at that, we're like, man, what incredible faith. I wish I had faith like that, that I could charge into any situation and be as bold as Jonathan. I think for many of us, what happens though, is we look at that situation and we say, man, I, I just don't have that boldness like Jonathan had because I have doubts and I don't know what's gonna happen. But I think it's interesting in Jonathan's story. Before he says this powerful line is that if God is with us, doesn't matter how many or how small, he says an important word that we need to look at. If you look back at verse six, he says, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Notice he says, perhaps. If you look in different translations, what it actually says is maybe God will help. Jonathan wasn't sure. He didn't know. He didn't have a burning bush that told him every little detail of what was going to happen. He didn't have writing on the wall that said, do this and do that. He didn't have this voice coming from heaven, confidently telling him what was next. But what we did see, Jonathan did have this expectation for the miraculous. And because he knew God's character, he knew God's heart, he knew the promises, he knew that he could advance boldly because while he didn't know what was going to happen, he could be expectant that God was going to show up. And I think for many of us, when it comes to having faith, I think many of us have been lied to. 
Many of us have been lied to, that we've been told that the way to have daring faith is that God guarantees success up front. That if you know every single detail, if you know everything that's going to happen, if you have your burning bush moment and you've got every detail of what's going to happen, that God will do this and God will do that, then you can have daring faith. Right? We even have things that say this, these cliches, that when God closes a door, he opens a window. That if God makes every decision in our life, we're going to understand every detail, that it's going to make sense to us. Because when he closes a door, there's another way. But you know what? It works best for us, but that's not always how God works. I mean, look at Jesus. When Jesus walked onto the scene, the people were confused. Literally, he's healing people. Dead people are coming to life. He's walking on water. And then Jesus says this in John 14, 12. He says that we will do even greater things than these. God wants to do greater things than these within us. That doesn't happen when you're living just by sight and what makes sense. In this story, living by sight kept King Saul underneath a pomegranate tree, missing out on the miraculous. But it was Jonathan who expected the miraculous, could walk into it boldly saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know you can do something. And I think for many of us, what starts to happen is that we just start walking by what makes sense to us. And we're missing out on the miraculous moments that God wants us to be a part of. And see, I understand that walking by sight. Walking by sight makes sense. Most of the time, that's going to be fine, but there are moments when God wants us to walk by faith. That's why Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, we live by faith, not by sight. Has it ever occurred to us as Christians that when God closes the door, he never opens a window? That in fact, he wants you in a place where it doesn't make sense. That maybe just perhaps he closed the door, but he still wants you to go through it. Maybe he wants you to put your head down and run through the wall. Doesn't make sense to do that. But it doesn't make sense to us. We've got to expect the miraculous. See, now that doesn't mean that we ignore common sense either. I don't think John was doing that. In fact, he had the Ark of the Covenant, so he knew that God was with him. He knew the promise that had been given that they will inherit this land. And on top of that, notice who he fought. He didn't fight the whole army. No, no, no. He went off to a regiment of about 20 men and he fought the battle. So Jonathan still had common sense with him. He was just bold enough to look past common sense and expect a miracle to leave some room for God to do his thing. And he sees the divine moment in the process. And I think what's happening to a lot of us, and if I can be real honest, I think a lot of times for myself, is we look a lot like King Saul. As that we're paralyzed in this place of waiting for God to do something when he's already telling us to go and we're missing out on the miracle. Saying, God, I can't lead a small group. I'm not deep enough. I'm not spiritually grounded enough. God could use someone better than me. Oh, no, I can't serve, right? Like they're asking to serve with kids and I'm not good with kids. Or they want me to agree with people. I don't like talking to people. It's not really like my, my spiritual gifts. I can't serve and do that. It would take way too much time. Oh, no, no, no. I can't share my faith with other people because, you know, right now I've got like this really good thing going at work and I'm probably going to be promoted. And if people hear about all that, they're going to just think I'm weird and all this other stuff. No, no, no. I, I can't do that. And we start listing off all these different things of why we can't. And we're sitting underneath the pomegranate tree. See, it didn't make any sense to Jonathan's life to approach those Philistines, but he knew God's character 
He knew God's purposes and he knew God's power and he expected a miracle. If we want to be people who have daring faith, we've got to be people who expect the miraculous. The second thing that we've got to do is we've got to understand this, is that having daring faith is dangerous. Having daring faith is dangerous. Now, let me ask you this question. When I say the name Jesus, what words would you associate with Jesus? For most people, dangerous doesn't even pop up in that sense, right? They say, oh, he's loving, he's kind, he's patient, right? He's forgiving. Dangerous is not usually one that pops up. We usually think of like Chuck Norris or like a boxer or something like that, you know? But not Jesus. You know, I think it's really interesting that there was uh, an author and he was a lot of things, but C.S. Lewis He was very famous for the books that he wrote called The Chronicles of Narnia. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he writes this character, Susan Pevensey, and she's having this conversation with Mr. Beaver, and where they're talking about the king of Narnia, which is Aslan. And if you look at Aslan, he's actually portrayed as Jesus. And it's so interesting to me how Mr. Beaver describes him. Here's what he says. He says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, "I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. We have to recognize that when we're following Jesus and stepping out in daring faith, there are going to be dangerous moments. Following Jesus is dangerous, but he's good and he's the king. When you start expecting miracles and seizing divine moments and following Jesus, you'll see it's dangerous. It's dangerous to your status quo. It's dangerous to how you picture your life. And it's dangerous to your comfort. In fact, Jesus even goes so far to say this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. He says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Look at what Jesus is asking. He's saying, love what I love, hate what I hate, do what I do. And he's saying that's going to require sacrifice. That might require suffering if we really want to be at the center of God's will. Why? Because following Jesus is dangerous. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. Have you ever heard this? That the safest place for you is at the center of God's will. Has anyone ever heard that before? Yeah. I think it's really a lot of moms who are sending their kids off to church camp and the kid's really scared. It's like the safest place for you is at the center of God's will. Okay, bye-bye, baby. And then we blob that kid into like the stratosphere. I was like, it's not safe here, right? But that's not true. We actually see Paul write this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. He says, I've constantly been on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in my city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. You know what Paul's actually doing? Living in the will of God. He's doing exactly what God is instructing him and taking the message of Jesus and sharing it everywhere. And you know what is surrounding him on every side? Danger. Not safety, not comfort, not leisure. Danger. 
And a lot of us will look at that and be like, Chris, well, hold on. on. I, I thought the kingdom of God is victorious. I thought that we are more than conquerors, that in the end we will prevail. Absolutely. But if you've ever seen a war film, even the side that wins, there are still people who are injured, who are hurt, maimed, and even die. You know, I remember growing up um, as a kid, I I played baseball um, from when I was very young all the way through high school. And I remember that there was this one particular game. I got into the batter's box and I was there. Our team uh, was winning and I went up to hit. I was facing this guy who like, it was like twice my size. He shouldn't have been in Little League. I think he was already dosing on steroids, if we're going to be honest. He had a mustache, I'm pretty sure. And I'm an eight-year-old in the batter's box. I'm like, this ain't right. And so I'm standing there looking at him and he's just like throwing heat straight in there. And so I'm saying, there. I remember I just swung. I'm pretty sure my eyes were closed. So it's a miracle that I hit it, but I hit the ball. It goes right in between the right center gap and it just goes to the wall. And I just start taking off running. I turn to first, I go to second. And as I look over, my coach is just waving me to third. And I'm like, this must be a miracle. Cause one thing you know about me is I am so slow. It's just true. Like the scene of chariots of fire where they're running in slow motion, that's my normal speed, okay? So he's waving me on. I'm like, okay. And as I go to turn to go to third, I feel this thing just pain flare up in my quad. I literally like strain my quad. And as I'm running, I'm like, it's like I just got tased. And so I finally slide into third. I make it there. It's all great, all of that. But even in a simple baseball game that we won, I still got hurt, right? We can have victory, And we can still get hurt. We can see salvation from God, but our situation might stay the same. We see this in Paul. He's facing pain. He's facing danger from all sides. And yet he is exactly in the will of God and he has daring face in the midst of it. And we see this with Jonathan. Jonathan is doing what he believes is right. He is expecting something miraculous, but it was dangerous to him. First Samuel chapter 14, verse eight, Jonathan said, come on then. We'll cross over towards them and let them see us. Now, look, I'm not a general, right? Like, I don't know all the tactics and all the things that you can do. But if there's only two of you and a lot more of them, it seems really dumb to me to just be like, hey, what's up? Not a great military strategy. If it was me, I would wait till they all went to sleep and then the covert operation. But that's not Jonathan at all. He said, well, let them see us. That's dangerous. And he goes and he sinks up. But Jonathan already understood that this whole deal was a divine moment. He understood that this was miracle land, not mundane land. Mundane land was over there underneath the pomegranate tree. He understood that if he was going to experience victory, God had to bring it. And that his role was to go beyond the point of no return and say, God, it's dangerous. But I'm here to fulfill your purpose, to accomplish what's on your heart and to do what's on your mind. And so God, I'm going to take the risk and I'm really going to live before I die. See, the only way that we're freed up really to live is not to care if you die. Daring faith is dangerous. Daring faith requires risk. It requires us to step beyond the point of safety and says, I will let them see me. And I wonder for you, if you've taken a step past the point of no return in your own life. See, we see that Jonathan, he had to take this step out so he could step into the miraculous. And I think for many of us, we're sitting life comfortably underneath the pomegranate tree and we've never taken this step out and say, God, all right, you've got to do something in this. I'm here, they see me. And for so many of us, we're just sitting back. And the real mystery of what Jesus was saying is he's saying, if you want to really live, you've got to let die the things of who you were so that you can follow everything that I have for you. 
Because I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we find ourselves in work and maybe your boss is asking you to do some things that lack integrity and you're struggling with whether what you should do. Or maybe the friend groups that you surround yourself with are pushing you to do things that you think are against God, but you just don't want them to think differently of you. Man, maybe for some of us, we've got to let die our arrogance, our pride, our selfishness, our comfort, and our stability. That way we can go past the point of no return and say, God, I'm expecting something miraculous. There's no going back, use me. Because if that was really the case, man, I think so many, so many more of us would be serving on second Saturdays, loving this community, the ones that people have overlooked. Man, if we pass by someone who's homeless, does our heart break for them like it does for God? Or do we just look straight in our cars and keep on driving? I think God is calling us to step out. And I think for many of us, we're just sitting behind in comfort. You see, the tragedy isn't when a person dies too young. The tragedy is when a person dies and has never really lived. And Jesus is saying, if you really want to find life, get rid of your old one. That's all about you and your own kingdom. And come and pick up your cross and follow me. That's where life is really found. So the question is, are you willing to give your life for God's purpose regardless of the outcome to you? Daring faith is dangerous. And the final thing that we see in this passage is that having daring faith involves action. It involves action. We gotta understand there's not so much action that's happening underneath the pomegranate tree, right? Like we see that King Saul is just chilling there. They've got all of his troops, AKA farmers, cause that's all they had. He's probably there just waiting for God to do something. There was no action. He was just sitting by the wayside, waiting for God just to show up when God was already moving. What I think is so interesting is that if you look at Christianity, the religion that we all follow, or maybe that you're looking into the following, if you look at it, the name that they actually used to call it back in the day was the way. Do you see the action in that? The movement in that? I think it's so interesting that Paul, just the verse that we wrote, uh, read a moment ago, he's saying that I'm constantly on the move. It's the way. Right? It's a way that connects us to God. It's an action step in things that we must do. When you would see the good news being spread, it was going from city to city. There was movements and you could see it spreading. Christianity was designed to move in the pattern of what God is moving. And what my fear is for the church is that we're supposed to be following a movement, but we've turned Christianity into a monument. That's going from something that's supposed to move and to reach out and to love. And instead it's just sitting here and we're just stagnant and we're just still. And what for many of our Christianity look like is a pond. Have you ever looked at a pond? It's gross. There's all of this stuff and it's stagnant. Why? Because the water's never moving. And it's so scary for us that if we're not careful, we'll get stuck in this monument mentality, which is where King Saul was instead of this movement, which is where Jonathan was. If you look at Christianity today, we've got to go to this movement mentality. And what I think is really interesting is Jesus never said, receive me. He said, follow me. Movement. And for us, we've changed this mindset to our own comfort instead of following Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going over here and I'm going to storm the gates of hell. And it's dangerous. It requires action. It requires sacrifice. But you're welcome to come join me if you like. Christianity is the movement that follows where God is going. And we see the two different mentalities in the story that we're reading. Jonathan says, I'm going to go. 
even if it's a no, until you say no, right? But we see King Saul on the other side. He's like, I'm gonna stay still until I hear from God because none of this is making sense. An interesting question I have for you guys, a little bit fun one. When you're driving, whether it's when you leave today or whatever, when you see a yellow light, what do you do? I think it's one of two things for people. I actually want you to participate in this. If you see a yellow light and you naturally, most of the time, slow down and wait for the next light, raise your hand. Goody two shoes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But if you'd say the majority of the time you see a yellow light and you see it as a challenge, right? Because there's something on the inside of us that wants to move. It wants to go. Right, because I've never heard any human being ever say this. Chris, on my way to work, I hit every red light and it was delightful. I've never heard a human being say that. They're usually like, ah, I hit another one. Why? Because we want to move. There's something on the inside of us that doesn't want to stay still. It wants to move. You know what I think is really scary for so many Christians right now? is that they're standing still and it's not because it's a red light. The light's actually green and they're too distracted to notice that they're supposed to go. We see that King Saul in this moment, he's sitting there and he's waiting for this divine moment for God to say what to do next when God's already given him clear instruction. And I think for many of us, we find ourselves in the same place is that we're sitting on the wayside, being stagnant and being still because we haven't gotten the answer from God that we've wanted. And we're saying, okay, God, I'll go and do it. Just let me know what's up. What do we need to do? When we forget and we realize that God's already shown us his will through his word. Notice this in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, he says this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Notice the movement, notice the action. He's saying, you may not know where to go yet. That's okay. Take steps forward. I'm behind you, I'm with you. I think for so many of us, we fail to take steps forward and have daring faith and put it into action because we don't know what to do next. And we're sitting there, we're saying, hey God, if you would just tell me what to do, if you could just make all of this make sense, I would just step forward. When God's really saying, he's like, I'm behind you. I need you to take steps and be faithful and obedient. And then I'll reveal to you that next thing. And we get so stuck in this when we have God's word where he's shown us his will in so many different ways. And we love to ignore all of those until he answers the one that we want. We're like, God, I don't know if I'm supposed to date this person, if I'm supposed to marry this person. God, I can't move forward in this until you show me your will. And God is saying, well, all I've asked you to do is actually put your relationship first in me. And you're not even doing that. So why would I reveal that other part to you? Oh, God, I want to be used by you. Well, you're not even serving right now and you're not being the hands and feet of Jesus. So why would I reveal to you things down there if you're not even being faithful with what I've asked you to do? God, I think you might be calling me into seminary or to be a missionary or do something really big for you. 
but you're not even faithful to share your relationship with God with your coworkers and your friends and the people around you. Why would he send you to the nations if you're not even gonna be faithful with what he's given you now? And we're waiting for this big moment that the heavens are gonna open and he's gonna share with us what we need to do when in reality, he's just saying, I need you to be Jonathan. I need you to take a step and keep on making steps because we see in Jonathan's life, he says, perhaps God will be with us and he'll make a way. He didn't know, but he expected the miraculous. He stepped into danger and he took action. I think for many of us, We've got to understand that daring faith involves expecting a miracle and involves danger and it involves action. You know, I want to finish with a story by a pastor. His name is Erwin McManus. He leads a church called Mosaic. It's over in California. He tells this story of when his son is 10 years old. His son's name is Aaron. And Erwin's at this conference and he's speaking and all that and they have some off time. So he goes and Aaron's like, hey dad, we're, we're near the beach. Can, can we go to the beach and just check everything out? And he's like, sure buddy, absolutely. Let's go. So they make their way down to the beach and they can see that there's all this debris. The storm had hit and there's all this debris everywhere and they're still walking along and having a good time. And Erwin says that he sees this group of people over to his right. And he's just like, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening over there and he didn't really want to be, uh, you know, associated with that. So he goes and he turns to the left with Aaron and they start walking the other way. As they start walking down the beach, they see this guy who's on crutches. He was a double amputee. He didn't have any legs below his knees. And the man is struggling, working his way to get down to the shore. As they're walking, they see him make his way all the way across. And he's just sitting, looking, and after his time is done, they see him turn around and start trying to make his way back up. And as he's walking, the man trips and he stumbles and he falls. And Erwin said that in that moment, he knew what he was supposed to do. But instead he took Aaron and he said, hey buddy, let's turn to the left. And he went the exact opposite way. The man gets back up. He starts walking on his crutches again and makes a little bit of the way and then he falls over again. And Erwin and Aaron, they see it out of the corner of his eye and Aaron looks up to his father and he says, Dad, I, I've got to go help that man. And he runs off to help him. And Erwin was standing on the side and he was so ashamed because he's like, in that moment, I know what my son was saying of the hypocrisy of myself. And he saw his son helping somebody, but he was sitting watching it all unfold. So Aaron runs up to the man and he picks him up, but he's just a 10 year old boy. So he picks him up, he grabs his crutches and they start walking a little bit, but he's just a little kid. So they stumble and they fall again. And it was at this moment that all of these people started coming by and started helping Aaron in this moment. They pick up this man and they get him to where he needs to go and they send him on his way. Aaron runs back to his father with tears in his eyes and he said, Dad, I couldn't do it. I couldn't help him. And he looked at me and said, Nobody. No, 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 no. You helped that man more than anyone else could. Because until you showed up, sure, you might have not been strong enough, but before that, everybody else saw him as invisible. And now everybody saw him. I think for many of us, We've been sitting life underneath this pomegranate tree like King Saul. 
saying, God, this doesn't make sense to me. How am I supposed to give in this giving campaign when I can barely make ends meet? How am I supposed to serve when I'm not good enough? God, I I can't make this happen. And God is asking you, I never asked you to. I asked you to take a step into the action. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of living life underneath the pomegranate tree seeing miraculous things happen and we being on the wayside when God's wanting to do that through you. So what does that look like for us in the season that we're in? Man, God's called you to have daring faith, to commit to something, not because you can fix every issue. God's never called you to that. He's asking you to be like Jonathan and say, you know what? I know who's on my side. I know the God that I've got behind me. And even though this doesn't make sense, I'm expecting the miraculous. Man, I know this might cost me my comfort and my leisure and my status quo and what I want, but I wanna lose my life so that I can find it and really live. Oh, I know it's dangerous. And you know, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore because mundane happens over here, but I wanna be where the miraculous is. Jesus said, we're going to do greater things than these. And God, I want you to use me. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I do. God, help me to take a step into that action. What does that look like for you? Like we've been in this building campaign. Pastor Daryl has talked about it. We want 100% participation. And that looks different for everybody. But there's two groups of people I want to talk to specifically here this morning. Maybe for you, you hear all of this. And maybe you weren't here when we did take the hills. You've been near the hills church. God's wanting you to commit. He's wanting you to commit to having daring faith, stepping out past the safe line where it's dangerous and expecting the miraculous. What would it look like for you to partner in that, to step out? You know, I'm reminded of the verse in Psalm 139 where David says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me and reveal my anxious thoughts. I think he's wanting to do that to us here in this room. The second group of people I want to speak to are the people who maybe you made a commitment over a year ago. You said, God, I'm going to be faithful in this. Maybe for you, you started, but then you had to stop. Life got difficult. Life got crazy. I get it. But nothing happens underneath the pomegranate tree. We've got to step out. And even though you can't be the solution to the problem, he's not asking you to do that. He just wants you to take a step. The second person that you might be there is maybe you've been giving this entire time. Man, we need to ask the question, search me, O God, and speak to me. Because I don't know about you. Man, when I leave this earth, I want to know I did everything for Jesus so that generations are impacted for him. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Because here's the reality behind this. And I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. This isn't about a building. I'm so glad that we're going to have it and God's going to do it. What God is doing inside of that building is everything. If we really say that we're here to win, train, and send the Midwest for Jesus, man, we've got to believe and expect the miraculous. Man, what I saw at Fix You with all of those students... I want to see on a wide scale. I want to see families whose marriages are falling apart come and meet Jesus and we see restoration. 
I want to see kids who are hurting and broken and man, their family life is dysfunctional. They're turning to drugs, but then they find Jesus and everything changes. I want to see generations far after I'm gone hear the message of Jesus in their lives be changed and restored. Why? Because Jesus never asks us to be in the mundane. That only happens when we commit to having daring faith, stepping out and saying, God, use me. The sad thing of life is not when a young person dies, but someone dies and they've never really lived. And if we really want to live, we've got to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We've got to commit to what he's doing and he's wanting to use you. So this week, please pray. Search my heart, oh God, and let him speak to you. Commit to what he's doing. Let's have daring faith. Can I pray for you right now? God, I thank you so much for the day and this time that we have to be with you. God, I pray that we would hear the message that you have today, God, and help us to step out and expect the miraculous, God. I'm fully believing, God, that this isn't just about our city. God, this is about a region that you've called us to, the Midwest. God, that lives are supposed to be changed and transformed. God, that people from all across this region are supposed to be here about you. And God, it starts today when we step out in faith and say, God, use me. So God, I pray right now, you would speak to every single life in this room. God, that you would help us to search our hearts, God, that you would speak to us and that we wouldn't just hear, but God, that we would step out in a dangerous calling that you've asked us to do and step into action and expect the miraculous, God. Help us to figure out what that is this week, Lord, so that we can be ready for next week. We love you and we thank you. It's your name I pray, amen.